Oh, Alex, it is early. It is. It's early for us, especially me, because it's like 6.30 in the morning here on a gloriously foggy Los Angeles morning. Yeah, you are, you are in Los Angeles. Yeah, the reason we're doing this earlier than usual is because you have a flight to catch. I do. In a couple of hours. Um, and what were you... Ex just explain to people what you were doing this weekend. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you the short version real quick here. Uh, I came out this weekend for SummerSlam, the, uh, I don't know, second or third biggest pay-per-view that uh, WWE does every year. Uh, this year they were showing off WWE 2K14 at an event... Uh, and by far one of the more surreal and weird weekends I've had in, in a good long while, but um, also probably one of the more entertaining as well, uh, and, you know, not even just because, you know, video games or whatever. It was just spectacle all around you. I mean, well, because you didn't, you didn't just go out to, like, no. go play a video game, right? No. Like, and you didn't just go out just to see the event. Like, some of the things you were telling me about over AIM as you were figuring out what the schedule of the weekend was going to be, it's it sounded really weird. Yeah, it's so. I mean, these things are always like a big giant press junket type of thing, but for wrestling. So, and and wrestling is already kind of like you know a, a giant promotional machine to begin with. So, what they have here is uh, fan access, which is uh, just this big thing outside LA Live, uh, the Staples Center, where they have like a ring set up. They do like the the NXT, which is like their uh, their their minor leagues. They have those guys wrestling matches all day long. They have a bunch of promotional stuff going on. They have uh, all sorts of like signings and other things going on. And for us, the uh, the, the video game press, uh, they. They had a variety of things going on, uh, <laughs> most of which, in a weird way, kind of ended up overshadowing the game. Uh, not because the game looked bad or anything, but because... But it is just another one of those games. Yeah, it's another game, and then they do things like, uh, you know, have us come to this, you know, a, a press event and panel where they have, you know, people like Stone Cold Steve Austin and Ric Flair and Mick Foley and all these people like, you know, Daniel Bryan, who was in the main event of SummerSlam this year supposedly there to kind of talk about, you know, uh, WrestleMania, which is the big story mode in the game this year, and, you know, kind of their experiences and that kind of stuff. But really just sort of devolved into abject chaos as a very drunken Ric Flair just sort of took over the whole event and just kept talking <laughs> old weird stories about Harley Race and, you know, how and Macho Man and how Hulk Hogan's a dick and all this other shit, and... Apparently got escorted out of the building after that was over with. Uh, it was not. So that was authentic. That that you know oh, yeah. that was just Ric Flair playing it. I mean, because because that's that, that's I think what is the strangest thing about you going to these events is by the very nature of what wrestling is. You know, I mean, everyone knows it's fake and played up for drama. Right. But part of the appeal when you're young is that it's like close enough that you know you can kind of believe it's just like acting, and then. You go and see these people talking about their experiences. It's I imagine a very blurry line sometimes when it maybe is getting creepy over like, is this person are they being a character right now, or are they just really a sad individual that is having some sort of public meltdown in front of us right now? Right, and it really depends on the wrestler because there are guys who, when you talk to them, they're still like halfway in character and they're just kind of you know playing it up a little 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 jokey or whatever. And then there are people like Ric Flair who just don't give a fuck. And, I mean, I just just to, to give you a perspective, when I got to the hotel on Friday night, Dan Riker from Game Informer and I decided we are going to have a drink at the hotel bar. Not even two minutes into that, he turns around and he's like, holy shit, that's Ric Flair sitting at the bar by himself. <laughs> uh, and he was, like, we were having, you know, hanging out for like an hour and a half or something. He was there the whole time. The next morning, we get up, we're going to go to uh, see the roster reveal thing, which is out at the Access event. We walk past the other hotel bar, which is out more in the open. Um, it's where you and I did the Dennis Dyack interview at uh, E3 this year. Oh wow! Okay, so yeah. is SummerSlam at? Yeah, where, it's where right there it? at. Yeah, I was at. I'm staying. Oh, at LA the Live that we were in. It is at. It was at oh, Staples Center. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Okay. We walk past that hotel bar. Ric Flair's already there, sitting, Whoa. having a drink. Oh, that's. Oh no! I'm. Ha By the time he got to our event. First ten minutes, he was on stage, dead silent, totally patient, waiting for everyone. As Mick Foley at some point was like, hey, you didn't ask Ric Flair this question to, to Jim Ross, who was hosting the event. 
And from that moment, the floodgates were just open. He just did not <laughs> stop interrupting everyone, jumping in, talking all these sort of, And it was a total roller coaster ride of like weird reverie and excitement. And then he starts talking about like his dead son and like all oh, these other no! really tragic things is... that happened. But then five minutes later, he's all like excited again and just it's it was nuts. And you know, some like half the wrestlers on the panel got to say like one thing. You know, like, he just totally overtook the event, and it was great. I mean, it was super entertaining. It was one of the more crazy... It's the stream archive, I'm pretty sure, is on Twitch still, and if you can watch it, you should, because it's one of the most insane things I've ever watched. Um, and then, the, the, and just to top it all off, the next morning, I had brunch with the Warrior. So it's like, the whole thing was just this insane cavalcade of just bizarre choices and just nutty personalities that sort of almost made you forget that there was a video game in there somewhere that they wanted to promote. So, yeah, it is just Is Brunch with the Warrior, like, is he at the head of the table like a king? Or is he no. just kind of in the mix? Like, how how is what is the setup here? Paint it's paint a room... So it's a room full of different tables. It's a whole bunch of press, not just games. There's, like, international people there, too. There's, like, the it's people from the Ukes team are there. So there's uh, a lot of people. This is this is just yeah. like the warrior happens to be at a brunch that you are probably not eating anywhere near yeah. the warrior. Well, so they and, and thankfully I wasn't because I really didn't want him to remember <laughs> me, to be honest with you. But uh, they set up a big stage for him to come out and talk. Uh, he had a podium, and so he walks out to his theme music and he looks around. He's like, "Where's the podium? Okay." You know what? Fuck it. I don't even need it. And then he just starts <laughs> shouting the whole time. He talks straight for 20 minutes about, like, you know, what it means to be in the game, what a character. There was a point during the talk where he was talking about the person he was most inspired by, and he just there's, like, these giant, you know, posters of him kind of on either side, and he sort of looks up at one of them, and he's like, you know who inspired me the most? That guy right there. That guy. He taught me I could be anything I wanted. It didn't matter. It didn't matter what people thought. I could do anything. <laughs> oh, man. And then, it just, and then he went and took photos with people and, you know, was mostly pretty docile after that. But, yeah, and then, then I went to SummerSlam, and somewhere in here I have to actually remember that I played the game during this trip and write something about it. I, I don't know, man. This whole thing has just been totally insane. Totally insane. Uh, that sounds wonderful. You had a great weekend. I did. It was super entertaining. Um... You know, at one point, totally not even in the the scope of things, uh, Dan somehow managed to get us invited to go hang out with a bunch of NXT wrestlers on one of their 21st birthdays. Uh, it does not surprise night. me that that Dan Reichert, of all people, is the one that can that can pull something like that off. Oh, he's a total enabler, and he, he there's this one wrestler, uh, Xavier Woods, who is uh, actually legitimately like a total like game nerd. Like, I he sat there and talked to me about Dynasty Warriors Eight for like ten minutes. Uh, when you we know were what? The table. Sure, that that yeah. should make that makes total sense. Dude was way into Persona Four Golden, so like that. That's awesome. So he he roped us in. You know, we ended up hanging out with like Brad Maddox and like all these other people that are like you know on TV or on NXT, and it was. Some of the nicest people I've ever met, and uh, you know, we'll have a lot more granular stories I think to tell about that the next time we do the uh, the the power bomb cast. But man, there was just this was just a weekend, and and then some. I will I will leave it at that. I think the event itself was SummerSlam any good? I saw some idle chatter on Twitter. Seemed like people were pretty excited about it. It was really good. It was it was one of the better produced shows they've done in a long time. Um, a lot of people were sort of bemoaning that it was a slightly predictable ending, but I think they set it up pretty well. And Daniel Bryan is one of those fan favorite guys that you know they're setting up as someone who is being kept down, who is you know having a hard time str like struggling at every turn to sort of you know become champion or whatever. And they, they they screwed him over in a way that like sets him up as like the ultimate hero kind of dude. So I think it's going to be a good run for the next few months. Well, I didn't, I didn't, well, I went on a bachelor party this weekend, so in some ways, I did things exciting, I just can't talk about any of them. Right, right, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a code of silence thing, can't talk about that stuff. <laughs> um, well, I, one, you know, one of the things we noticed before we started this was that, uh, you know, we had our first guest, Dean Dodrill, on, on, on Friday, which, you know, apologies for the audio, we'll, you know, we just do these things, and then we'll figure out how to do them better later. Right. Um, but we probably should have guests on Monday because there's less things that happen over the weekend. We're a little bit saved by the fact that uh, Gamescom is, I 
I think this week. I think people are starting to head out there. I think coming we, up here real real fast. I want to say maybe the GDC, like there's like sort of a developer conference part of it that I think may there have is. already may have already started because I, I started seeing uh, uh, Polygon and Kotaku had some stories up about. Um, some stuff that I think is coming out of there. I don't know. I don't pay attention to these things if we don't go to them. So <laughs> I think that's a totally like you know it, it, unless the big you know headlines start you know funneling out of it. I, I sort of I sort of understand because if I'm not at the event, why do I why do I want to sit there and pay attention to a thing that's happening in Germany? You know if I'm not there. But there there is some random stuff like the so we've got uh, Castlevania Lords of Shadow, Mirror Fate HD coming in October for XBLA and and PSN, uh, which. My response to that is, didn't seem like anyone liked that game. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Mm, I don't know. That like, that like makes a sense. It makes choice. sense for them to take that, and it's probably not that much trouble to uprise assets for what people's expectations are for an XBLA or a PSN sort of like budget title. But sure. I, I know that Vinny, out of anyone, is one of the. I didn't particularly like the. Uh, Lords of Shadow that much? Um, I, I liked parts of it, and then, like, I, I was actually supposed to review that game, and then I got way behind. It was, like, in the middle of the, the, the big holiday, or it was getting close to the It's a long game, too. It's it's yeah. not, like, a, the, nor the normal sort of 12 to 15-hour arc. That game's, like, 20-plus. Yeah, it's, like, 25, I think. And I got about 13 into it, and then it, it just it starts repeating itself in ways that I really didn't like, and it just gets hard in places that I really didn't like, and at some point, I was already a week and a half behind the review, and I was like, you know what, fuck it, I need to move on to something else. And I just didn't like it enough to want to keep going. Yeah, at some point, like, filing what is inevitably going to be a three stars, don't really play this until it becomes cheaper review, uh, yeah. sort of becomes apparent when you just don't get around to it for that is totally, a week and a half that is, that or two exactly weeks after. Where, <laughs> yeah, that is exactly where it would have ended up with me, I think, unless something really spectacular... I mean, I know what the ending of that game is, and, you know, I actually think that's a pretty decent ending, but, like, gameplay-wise, unless something really spectacular they were saving for the last, like, ten hours, I didn't really care. Yeah, and the response to the the 3DS game was, was so tepid that... I don't, I don't know, even remember unless, what, unless... What was the response, really? I don't. I barely was, remember it, was, it. That's... I, I think you may have summarized the response entirely okay. by asking All that right. question. I know... Uh, so Vinny loved... Lords of Shadow, like re yeah. really enjoyed the game. So he was the one that uh, I think Mirror Fate might have just gotten no quick look or anything because everyone has such disinterest in the the Mercury Stream take on the franchise. But he loved Lords of Shadow, so he played that game. So if anyone was sort of teed up to enjoy it, it was Vinny, and he you know he beat it just for the lore stuff because once he gets into a mythology, there are few people I know that, that do not go as whole hog into mythology as Vinny does. Um, but, uh, yeah, he didn't care for it either. So it just seems like, unless they're going to make some substantial changes to the gameplay, why would you remind people of a game that didn't get much of a reception, uh, positive in any case, and right before a sequel, which I think people are actually pretty excited for the sequel. It's got, you know, the idea of playing as mm -hmm. Dracula is a, is a cool idea. So, uh, Spoilers, I'm at least... God! Oh, well, you know... There's, tra there's trailers. I, that's not a spoiler. But you're <laughs> right. You're right. Entire game. Someone is going to say. Someone is going to say <laughs> spoilers. Um, hey, did you click any headlines, or should I just keep going through the ones? I that... haven't had a chance to look at anything. Okay. Like, this whole weekend has been such a weird whirlwind. Like I came back from the show at like eight o'clock last night, and by eight forty-five, I was just like face down and done. You know, that was the end of me last night. Oh. Are you still there? I'm still here. Oh, okay, you you, yeah. you blanked out for me for a second. You blanked out on me too, but I could hear you. So yeah, we, I don't we, know. Did, we did we did two of these, and it was totally fine. And then now we got hiccups. I don't know. To be fair, I'm on Wi-Fi hotel internet, so you're right. I'm probably not as good right this time. That's true. Uh, one thing's that it's not so much a news story specifically, but it has been interesting to watch. So I you know I wrote the review for Gone Home last mm -hmm. week, and. One of the things that's been like really interesting to watch, like play out of that, and I I talked about this with you when I was writing the review, whether I, how much I wanted to touch on it or not touch on it. I end up not adding anything, uh, but it, knowing that it would become sort of a point of contention in the comments anyway. But this game, uh, I think more than any game in recent memory, sort of not not stretches the the boundary, but definitely sort of you know it's a two to three hour game. I don't want to get into what it's about or you know that's not necessarily what's all that interesting, but. You know, it's a very story-driven, uh, mechanics-light, uh, you know, if you define games in terms of depth by, like, how much 
there is to the mechanics. You know, it's you're opening and closing things right. for the most part and going home. Uh, and it's twenty bucks. And you know, I beat it in about two hours. And you can stretch that two, three, mm-hmm. if you're being real meticulous in, in what you're looking around at. But you're not looking at much more than that uh, unless you kind of go back and then figure out. Okay, well, I missed this, this, and this. Because you know, there's no way you're going to make it through and see everything. Um, right. Then maybe you can stretch, you know, another hour onto it to kind of, kind of fill out those gaps. But it's twenty bucks, and I, I, I would not pretend that that is not a insubstantial amount of money for what our traditional expectations are for that experience. Um, but part of that reason I didn't mention was because it did, you know, by the time I finished it, I, it, it didn't seem, it wasn't something I wanted to talk about. And, right. but it is, you know, but I also recognize sort of like my inherent privilege in that scenario of like, well, I didn't pay for the game and I don't pay for a lot of the games I pay for. And so it was tough because it's like writing that review. And this is just like, you know, Giant Bomb doesn't have super strict review guidelines and we don't certainly consider ourselves like a consumer report sort of thing. You know, it's, we're sort of just writing what we want to write and that's just kind of how it is. And that's also why our reviews are, you know, disproportionately four and five stars because we tend to review the games we really like and have something to say about. And you have less things to say about, you know, the bad games out there. Except for me, but it's because I have serious, serious mental sickness. So don't even, you know... No, I, you know, and and I I would... One of I've mentioned this before. I don't know if it was on a podcast or Tumblr or something like that. But I I think actually... um, I don't know if it you know, necessarily needs to be something where it's like there are more reviews on the site, but I don't, given that I'm in a privileged scenario where I can kind of play w- whatever I want, and I, you, I could just play only the good stuff, I actually think you miss out on like having a good perspective on why good things are good if you don't play more of the bad stuff, right? Because like, if you're only playing the stuff that's, you know, you know, ostensibly four and five stars, it's all, that's doing like all of these things really, really well, uh, and you don't remember. Well, this is this is why this is what happens when this all goes so very very wrong. I think there's some some, some perspective you lose by not playing more crappy games. I think. Yeah, and I think that's that that's that is a little bit true. And you know, it is something that I've been I like I've been more more willing to take on certain review projects because I do like having that perspective and having just some sense of like. It's not even that I expect a game to be bad, but, I mean, there's certain games when you don't hear very much about them or you hear something about, like, you know, a developer getting fired, you know, before the game comes out, a bunch of people getting laid off or whatever, you're like, okay, this is probably not going to be very good, but I still want to see what it's like. At the same time, I also realize that there is something, I don't know, there's just something in my brain that sort of gravitates me toward... And not even from, like, a, you know, kind of point-and-laugh kind of way, but more of just, like, a fascination kind of way toward failure in some respect because I just like to see how these games sort of come together and don't you know in the the myriad ways they don't succeed you know I don't take a game like Family Guy or Blackwater or any of that garbage because you know I'm just a total masochist because I'm really not I take it because I'm fascinated by it and I like see I in some weird way I I take a certain amount of just enjoyment and 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 interest in seeing these products that people spent, you know, countless hours and money working on to literally no avail whatsoever. Because, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. You you talk to anyone that's worked on, you know, most people that are in a position now to work on good games spent a lot of time working on bad games or at some point in their career worked on something that they knew before it was coming out, this is garbage, there's no, there's no saving this. You know, the very least that they can do is hope that the piece they work on they're proud of, or they can like point that in the resume and say, "Hey, this game sucks, but I did this, and this worked really well." Um, but that games, uh, I mean, this isn't probably unique to games. This is probably unique to, yeah. to any any work. But just even the worst things that come out, there were a lot of people that worked really hard to make that bad thing come out, <laughs> and that and that's that's fascinating in and of itself. Especially when you talk to people that work on games that do come together and are really good. Uh, especially, you know, that 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 sort of like traditional. Um, a sort of lesson that, like, you know, everything comes together in that last, like, two months when all the systems sort of link together, and up until that moment, everyone just thinks this project's going to be a complete disaster. Um, and that how how easily, you know, the best intentions go completely wrong just because, you know, I imagine in, in some of those cases, like, you know, Family Guy, like, you're talking about a license game. Like, yeah. the amount of stakeholders 
that are pro you know you have to work you know with in order to even you know they there's you have to imagine you know on paper maybe there was sort of like a good idea they had but then by the time they get everything approved through Fox and uh, through what's his face I'm blanking oh, McFarlane. on yeah. yeah McFarlane like I, you know the, the way all that stuff works at the but what comes back you know is probably this bastardized version of you know a game you you wanted to put together and then you're stuck with well this is all <clears throat> this is all we can do we only have this amount of time to do it and we have no budget uh, well I'll just try and survive this with my sanity intact yeah and you know it, you don't know where the, the the whole of that script is coming from you don't know if you're ever going to get another draft from those writers if they're coming external you don't you know and like you said you there's only so much guidance you get on that kind of stuff so it yeah one of my favorite writers, and just just to the point of this is not unique uh, to games, is uh, Nathan Rabin, who used to be at the AV Club, now at uh, Pitchforks, The Dissolve. He used to write this series called My Year of Flops, which is just about, originally was just about, you know, movies that were huge box office failures or just, you know, complete critical, just disasters kind of things. But not from the perspective of just, haha, look at that, it sucks, but from like, how the fuck did this happen? How did this come together? Like, why did this happen? What 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 aspect of this sunk this project and that's the perspective I like to take on it like you know it's one thing to just kind of say well this is a terrible game and no one should play it but I love kind of looking at that stuff and just being like man I can't even imagine how this happened or this happened this must have been like a total clusterfuck trying to put this together and that's I think that's where my fascination kind of comes in on a lot of that stuff yeah because it's essentially <clears throat> when you get to that finished product you can try and you know, once you've played enough games, talked to enough developers, you can, in some small way, start looking at it and realizing, like, where things went wrong, or this is this ended up this way because, well, this... You can kind of see where the stitching is, you know, once you've had enough perspective on how that stuff works. And I think you're right. I think that it's super easy just to... You know, some games deserve to just be made fun of, right? Like, that's... Right. Sometimes that's just fun. Sometimes that's just the way to it's write that It's cathartic in a way, yeah. Yeah. Because you, you survived this ordeal that 99% of the world is never going to go through. But but I think you're right like that. That, that feature, which I've read in the past, too, on the, the AV Club, you know, I think that would be fascinating for games, too, is just sort of, like, rather than making fun of why this stuff, that this stuff didn't work, well, let's try and figure out why it didn't work. Because if you know why bad things don't work, you get a better sense of why the good things do work and why, you know, good designers, good developers are able to avoid those pitfalls. And I, th I think that stuff is really interesting. And I think we're getting to a point where a lot of developers, especially, you know, people that worked on games that were sort of recently bad in the last decade are starting to maybe come up a little bit more and get with more significant projects. So, you know, maybe in a few years they'll want to actually talk about that stuff and, you know, be a little more open about it. Right now it seems like most people just kind of want to forget those things ever happened. So, you know, one day, one day. But to, to, so to your point, you were talking about Gone Home and sort of the, the concept of perspective and, you know, $20 versus three hours, what have you. And so, like, what have some of the – have you seen, like, a particularly negative groundswell of comments around that? Or is well, it just... I, mean, I think the, the response is, is sort of what I would expect from it is, um, you know, a lot of it is like, well, I played two hours for what's not much of a game, and then – and then, you know, so what is also the differentiator there is how you respond to the story, which is incredibly right. subjective. And that's <clears throat> that's the trouble for a game that is uh, incredibly story-based. And so that even though I, I found sort of the mechanics of Gone Home to be very enjoyable, like being in a house and, like, looking at all these things, um, if you are not, if that doesn't do it for you, and then in addition to that, the story doesn't resonate for you or you it comes across as ham-fisted to you, like, if those two things happen... Then Gone Home sort of falls apart, right? Like right. that's uh, games that it's part of in the paradox of a lot of video games is that they can get by without a great story because you know games started you know really blossoming in the arcades, which were they survived on their mechanics, and then those arcade games became console games, and then games have just always had this strong history of being about the game part and not necessarily about the narrative part, and as we've sort of started bridging that gap. Uh, sometimes you get games where the narrative and the story are completely intertwined. And I think that is true in, in Gone Home. But it is, if it doesn't work for you, you know, it's it, it's a sim similar to what happens if you just don't like the gameplay or, like, the shooting doesn't feel right. And so it's a weird conversation to have because it's hard for me to have a dialogue with those people that just hate what it is offering or what it did offer 
because I can't see that perspective because I enjoyed the story. I enjoyed the the casual mechanics, and I think it's because we're kind of talking about different things is yeah. why we can't really see eye to eye in that because what they're talking about isn't what I'm talking about, but that's the only sort of like commonality we have to discuss the game. And so, and this also happens every time there is sort of, I think, you know, I agree, I don't know if I call it a conspiracy theory, but I would call it, uh, it's not surprising that the game's press really got behind this game. Uh, not got behind it, but it resonated with them. You know, a lot, of, right. you know, you have a lot of people who are reviewing games who are in uh, their late 20s, early 30s, and the people who built this game are about that age as well, and it's about people that were basically born in the 80s and then started growing up in the 90s and all the nostalgia that goes along with that. And then in addition to that in the games press, you just have a lot of people that are, are tired of shooters, and part of that is you know inherent to the privilege I was talking about before, which is that we get to play everything. And so if you right. do play everything, you're going to exhaust your interest in certain genres and violence and shooters and stuff like that a little bit faster than everyone else. If any given day you can just load up Steam and be like, sure, I'll play this mediocre shooter because I don't have to pay for it. So, right. you know, you're going to get tired of it. So I, it's not a surprise that when you have something like Gone Home come out, which I think is an exceptional game, what it tries to do, it does really, really well. But uh, you also have a press uh, and sort of a crowd that is is ripe for something like that, that is ripe for uh, something different that is sort of uh, completely antithetical to a lot of what's popular or sells sells best. So I think that also ends up creating that that, that tension there because you'll see in some of the comments, uh, you know, and then these are like, this is an example of when I go into comments and try and get some takeaways from it as opposed to just like, Ah, people are angry and screaming. Like I, I try to go through sometimes and find like, well, what's like, what is the commonality here? That that maybe what what are they actually talking about as opposed to what they're actually what you know what they're saying. And and for me, that's that's a lot of what you're seeing is this sort of is this tension, especially because you know this happens every time when there's like a a big indie game that everyone loves, and then right. uh, there there's sort of an inevitable backlash because there's part of the audience that it has no interest in these types of games, and that's that's totally fine. Um, well, and, and so, and this brings me back to to a point that I feel like I've had to make a lot to commenters and and various people over the years, um, especially as video game, you know, criticism in whatever form it exists in now has has sort of evolved past, I, you know, not to not to to denigrate, you know, the work we were doing in Gamespot years ago, but I mean that stuff was very dry. You know, a lot of those reviews we were writing back in the day were sort of targeted at people who wanted something closer to, like, a technology review than something that was a little bit more uh, subjective, which is, uh, honestly, what any sort of entertainment review generally is, is subjective. You know, most games, yes, there are mechanics. Does this mechanic work? Yes, no. You know, that there is stuff you can check off on any review of any game. But... Especially in when you're talking about stuff like Gone Home or really anything kind of in that uh, more story-driven or you know experience-driven indie space now, everyone's experiences are going to be different no matter what, and that's that it, it's much closer to something like you would see in film criticism where you know it, it doesn't matter how universally loved or universally panned a game is, there are all or, or a movie is there's always at least like seven reviews from across the country that are just completely on the opposite end of the spectrum. Who's and that one? Been, who's that one guy who's famous for like loving all of the trash that everyone? Armand White. Yes. Yes. So yeah, there are the Armand Whites out there. There are the Rex Reeds out there, and but there are also just people who you know a certain movie does not resonate with them at all, or it resonates with them in a way that they did not expect whatsoever. And th that's happening more and more with games now. You know, there are games that are just providing completely different experiences from the the typical mainstream fare, and that's. You're going to find critics that, that completely embrace that, and you're going to find audiences that just don't know what to do with that. And that's fine. That is, that, that is a completely natural evolution of, you know, a sort of, of, of criticism of, of, a, of an entertainment medium. And that is something that I think people just need to kind of learn to embrace a little bit more. Because if you just want a straight-up dry-ass objective review of does this game play, do the thing that I want it to do, is this worth the money, to give me a value number so that I understand, is this an 8 in value, is this a 4 in value, tell right. me what's going on. There are people who do that. You need to find the critics that speak to you 
in one way or another. And if your your complaint is that more and more criticism is moving toward this this more subjective thing, and you want you know pure objectivity, and you want to make sure that nobody is either, you know, this is this can't be this score because it costs this much and it doesn't have this many hours. And you know, sorry, that is going away. That is slowly going away. There will always be games where you can talk about that stuff with you know puzzle games and, and things that just don't really have anything other than mechanics and visuals to kind of work with. But as games kind of evolve past that and kind of move into more, you know, nebulous spaces that aren't as easy to identify, you're going to get a lot more of the critic in the review than you are just straight up like, yes, no, buy this. And I think that's a great thing. And I think you will always be able to find critics that maybe are on more of the, the, the classic end of the spectrum. Find who speaks to you. Find who, who you agree with. Find the people that, that um, seem to share your tastes and interests. And listen to them. You don't have to listen to everybody. Just because a publication that you generally like gave a score that you don't understand or don't agree with, maybe that critic's not for you. It's not, you know, not every publication, the publications don't boil down to we are a hive mind and we all think the same and, you know, one person scoring this doesn't necessarily mean another editor thought this. You have to find the names that mean something to you. And if you're mad that someone reviewed a game that you don't like, Find another critic that liked it or, you know, thought the way you did because there's probably someone out there. There are too many people writing about video games for you not to be able to find someone you agree with. Yeah, and so it's actually it's actually funny, like, then going through the sort of the, the comments on the Gone Home review where you get uh, some people going like, of course it's a 5 out of 5 because Patrick's reviewing this. And I was like, then that's right. – then you're using the site correctly, right? Like, that's yeah. – it's okay – to be cynical about how I would respond to a game like Gone Home, because you're 100% correct. It is though yes. the Fulbright Company made a game that was engineered just for me and emotionally read. Like it is no surprise that I fell head over heels for that game. And so you are, ha- you know, even though you're being sarcastic and and slightly cynical in your response, you're you're using the site correctly. At least how we want you to use the site or to view the yeah. site, which is that. Of course, Patrick, if Patrick Reviews had gone home, it's possible I would have disliked it, but of course it was more likely I was going to like it because this is exactly the type of game that that I would like. And so what you want to look at that review is it's five stars to Patrick, not Giant Bomb gave it five yes. stars. And and I think uh, you're right that, yeah, we are moving that direction. I think sometimes, you know, I'm guilty of this, other writers are guilty of this, of like you put your uh, you make yourself maybe sometimes a little too much of the story, and that's sort of like a fine line we're still figuring out of how you convey your subjective experience without forgetting that you're talking about a game too. And and sometimes there are games where it does make sense to talk completely subjectively or uh, if you're sort of having just sort of a critical response to a game as opposed to a review and, and things like that, we start to get into blurrier lines. Um, but yeah, it is certainly, it's, it's an evolving process that I think uh, if people don't like it, uh, then there is an opportunity there for people to start a publication that, that caters to an audience that is looking for those things. And I, that's the nice part about the Internet, is that if, if you think there's an audience for that and you want to write to it or you have a group of writers that want to write to that, then you should go and start that site and you should look at games with those metrics because maybe that will be useful to an audience and then that's useful to us because that audience can go there to get that information. Totally. I'm, I'm 100% with you, and, you know, it, in the sense that, you know, if you're the sort of person that was like, and just, just on the people cynically responding to that, if you're the sort of person that's like mad Jeff didn't review that game or something, guess what? He said on Twitter he really liked it. So, I don't know. I don't know what you what you want. Going home sounds really cool to me. I'm looking forward to playing it when I get my favorite, My favorite, <laughs> some of my favorite moments are when, <clears throat> you know, I'm definitely known as sort of like the indie guy, and I'm fine with that, 100% cool with that label, but, you know, Jeff's tastes are so fickle, and oh, yeah. sometimes he loves that stuff, and sometimes he just, you know, like Catherine, like, we were, him and I were yeah. on a complete opposite end of the spectrum with Catherine, I adored what it was what it was doing, and what it was trying to do, he detested, he liked the story stuff, but anyway, don't have to get into the, but anyway, I, I love when, I do take a, a certain amount of pride in, I don't know if pride's the right word, but I love it when he loves something that I love too, and then it, sh- it kind of shuts down that little segment of people that like are waiting for Jeff to just rip into something like that, and then it just yeah. turns out he likes it because he's so unpredictable. Oh, right? totally. Like, cannot know whether that's going to happen or not. So I-, I kind of love that he also loves Gone Home because I think there is sort of that contingent of people that are like waiting for Jeff to kind of come out of the wings and just eviscerate 
something like that. Like, you know, Yoshi's Island, that debate was yeah. kind of like that too. Like, and it's fun. Like, I love having those conversations with Jeff too because uh, the be- you know, the worst thing to be in is in an echo chamber. And right. if I don't blame people, like with Gone Home specifically, uh, if you have 30 reviews that are all glowingly positive, kind of riffing on the same thing, then those aren't 30 useful reviews necessarily. And so uh, Eurogamer uh, had, I think, probably the one review that was pretty critical of the game. Uh, didn't care for the story, didn't care for uh, a number of, of things in the game. And although I disagree with that review, I'm super glad it exists. Uh, it's yeah. an articulate review. I, I disagreed with them throwing around the word pretentious because I, I think pretentious is equivalent to hipster in that it, it, it sounds really bold but says nothing at all. Uh, right. about what you're talking about because the word has very little actual applicable meaning. But uh, the rest of the review, I think, is is pretty great. And you you want those people out there. I, if you're not mm-hmm. making a work that people like and dislike, well, then you probably didn't create a bold enough work. It's the same way that I'm glad that I have detractors because if I'm not saying things, you know, I don't want to purposely say things to incite people. But no. if I, I feel like if, if you aren't stake, if you aren't, your opinions should in some ways, polarize people or have people that agree with you and disagree with you. And, sure. and I think that's really healthy to have. And I think that's healthy to have in criticism, too. And so if, they're, if it's just a big love fest for Gone Home, well, then it's like, well, maybe we are overlooking something. Or maybe we're only, you know, kind of resonating with this one piece and maybe not considering other parts. Um, so I think it's good to have stuff like that, that Eurogamer review that, you know, that guy doesn't like it. That's fine. It's one yeah. review. And, totally. and, that, and that at least gives you a perspective on... Well, here's what it's like when someone when someone disagrees. So I, I love I love really well articulated uh, sort of contrarian reviews. You know, if it's just someone ranting, that sucks. But if it's yes. someone that really articulates why they don't like it, that's way more useful than thirty reviews telling me why they did like it. Even if they're all phenomenal reviews, even if they're all really insightful, I would w- much rather read ten really insightful contrary reviews and there there are definitely not enough of those and maybe that just speaks to not having a wide enough uh, set of critics that are sort of employed and able to to provide those perspectives but well it's like I said that, that's evolving you know the perspectives are starting to evolve along with you know the the style of game and I think that will change you know that, that will continue to evolve over the next few years I'm gonna start calling Jeff wildcard Gersman yeah, because you never know. You never know what's gonna come out of him. So I, I, I like if we're we're doing dumb nicknames, I'm gonna call him Wildcard from now on. Um, well, okay, that's probably enough navel gazing yeah. about games criticism. <laughs> but sure. uh, well, I mean, there's something to talk about. So yeah, how, how much time do you have? How many do you need? Uh, to, to I got. I probably got a solid uh, twenty minutes or so, and then I can I can roll out of here. Okay. Um, what you so today? There's there's really not that much news. I could pull random headlines, but maybe we'll do that at the end. Um, you, you're you're probably on big review duty this week, aren't you? God, yeah. So I am working on the bureau right now, um, and I did not get to play nearly enough of that before I left. Uh, I obviously can't say whether it's good yet or not, but um, I've I've been trying to plug my way through that. Uh, I've got Madden sitting on my table. That's like a, that that is always the signal that games are about to start coming out of the floodgates when Madden shows up on my desk. Um, and then it's somewhere in there I'd really like to play more Payday 2, but I don't know if I'm going to get to anytime soon because, man, I just, yeah, the, the games, they are coming in just waves now, and uh, it, it's uh, it's a little, t- a little exhausting to think about. Yeah, I don't, um, yeah, my, so I didn't, you know, I, I didn't review any of those games, uh, not at the home office, so don't have early access to, to any of those games. So, like, what? So one of the nice parts of usually <clears throat> when we come up to these sort of like weeks where there's like three games that uh, all seem kind of interesting is that usually you know some of them show up early, so I can kind of like get through one of those before the other right. two show up. But you know now in the position I'm in now, I just like, well, now there's are these three games coming out. I think I'm probably gonna start with Saints Row Four because I feel that is the most uh, spoilable. Uh, at least oh, in terms I want to play of like that so bad. I want to play it so bad. I don't know what I'm going to get to. Right, and I just feel like that's like that's a conversation game. Like that's yeah. a game that everyone's going to be talking about this week. Like, oh, did you see this moment? Did you see that moment? You know, in the same way that in Saints Row uh, the Third, you know, when you have the Kanye West jump out of a plane moment, which yeah, I I did that, and then I start the, started the mission over and did it all over again because it was that fucking cool. Uh, Saints Row is that kind of game. It's like it's a water cooler game. I want to be chatting with people about it as I play through that stuff, whereas 
you know, the Bureau, I, I am, I hope that game is excellent, uh, or at least interesting. Uh, it is one of those games, I think, that is similar to what we were talking about earlier, that if it's bad, that almost makes me more interested to play it because of the long history that game has had. Right. Uh, that, you know, it's it's one of those games that maybe I won't get to immediately, but I definitely want to, like, at least install and and mess around with. There's a... A third game that comes out this week? Isn't that a third? Splinter Cell Blacklight. Right, right. Oh, that game that, that just kind of snuck in there. Yeah. Oh, no pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I kind of intended that pun. Okay. A all right. Bit, but... All right. And uh, yeah, that's. I'm really glad to not get any more emails uh, from Ubisoft about that video game. I'm gonna Don't say that. You're gonna get plenty. You're gonna get plenty for Watch Dogs over the next couple of months. That's yeah. Be, Assassin's be, Creed. Why? Trailer emails about. Yeah, Ubisoft has been more guilty, I think, than, and maybe it's working for them. Maybe this is why they do it. And you yeah, know, more you know, more power to them. Like marketing is a, is an art, not a science. And but yeah, we get nearly daily emails from them uh, that is either Assassin's Creed, Watch Dogs, or Splinter Cell, some new trailer. And at some point, which is hey, you can't put all those up. I just no. can't do it. I can't no, do it. because you totally run out of things to say about those games. Like, I ran out of things to say about Blacklist seven trailers ago. You know, like, what do I even say? Because it, it, I made the joke at E3 this year. They were showing another trailer for Blacklist, and I realized, wait a minute, no. They are actually just doing a collection of shots from other Blacklist trailers remixed into this longer thing for their press conference. And I just... I nearly fell out of my chair at that point because I was like, I know this game has been long in development. I know they've done a lot of these, but holy shit, how are they already recycling themselves like six months before this game even comes out? I know, people have asked me a couple times on on Tumblr about this upcoming week. Dive Kick comes out this week, too. Yes, it does. I've been playing a bunch of that, actually. Yeah, that game's excellent. Um, that Flash game is excellent. It should be. It is a big, great Flash game. Definitely great. SWF of the year. Yeah. Um, but how weeks like this happen, and that would be an interesting story. I should that is definitely a feature I would like to explore. But how is it that this month, not a whole lot of stuff? Uh, so you know they've gone home. Some some real standout moments. Some some really interesting. Pikmin came but, out a couple weeks ago. Right, but but how is it that we end up at the end of the month with a week where there are three really big triple A games, uh, and obviously someone's going to lost in the in the crossfire. And weirdly enough, it seems like it. It might end up being, you know, Splinter Cell or XCOM. Like Saints Row, I think is, it's good to go. Like it's got its audience, uh, it's going to do just fine. But like, how is it that XCOM and Splinter Cell, like two sort of under the radar games, weirdly yeah. enough, uh, like how one of those didn't launch at the end of July or the beginning of August? I'm not saying it didn't happen just because that was when those games were finished and that's just right. how that works. But to not launch one of those games a little bit earlier. It's just crazy to me. I wrote a column uh, right about in the time the summer was beginning. It was either before or after A3 where I just sort of, you know, lamented the whole fact that the summer is just this endless dead zone. It is just a dead zone of games. And I know that the reasoning behind that is that, you know, traditionally people are on vacation. People, don't, people buy less games during the summer months. So there are not as many things to choose from. But... You think about it, it's like, if people are traveling, why aren't all the 3DS games coming out during that time? Why is Mario and Luigi coming out now instead of, like, a month ago, when it came out in Europe? Right. Uh, yeah, but that's a game kids would travel with. Pokemon, I know that that game's going to sell no matter what, wherever it goes. So why not put that in, I mean, maybe it's just not done, but, like, why not put that at the beginning of the summer so that all the kids do throughout the summer is just play their damn Pokemon, you know? it's And... You know, it, it, there's only so much you can do with, like, the console and PC stuff because that shit's always going to end up toward the end of the year where, you know, they want to hit that big, that increasingly large holiday window that now already extends, you know, up to mid-August. But I just, I feel like the way people, like, movies counter-program. Movies find ways to uh, not completely overlap one another. You rarely see two giant action movies coming out on the same day Certainly no more than two. Um, usually it's like, here is big action movie, here is romantic comedy, here is, you know, thing, thing, thing that, you know, different audiences will like. Games, like, I know, maybe it's just a different science, it's a different method, you know, time, you can't really sit there and try and rely on what other publishers are doing, but it just seems like this is the stupidest way to go about it. Putting Splinter Cell and the Bureau and Saints Row together 
on the same damn week makes no fucking sense at all because those are all games that maybe less the Bureau a little bit, but it's still an action game. You're yeah. putting these three big action games together, third-person action games together on the same week, and at some point something's got to give. And I it's think the same. Is, it's the same audience, even though they yeah. have their differences, um, you know, tonally and and you know, mechanics-wise. Like, sure, the, the audience that is going to pick up any one of these three games is the same exact audience. You know, it's More not. Less, it's, yeah. And and so it's like with, you're sending these to die. Like you, yeah. ha, like you, X, XCOM is being that game has been in development for years. 2K is sending this game to die. Like, they promoted it a little bit more. I mean, they've, they've, they've tried to get the word out there a little bit with that game. Uh, you know, they, they, they've had me out to play it a couple of times. They've, they've you know, they've put out a decent number of trailers, and they, they, they seem like they, they believe in it on some level, but... The, but the release date kills it. It's like, terrible. it's all it's for a naught. Terrible release it's date. all for naught, because, all, you know, people could be... In, like, the be here's the best case scenario for XCOM The Bureau, is that... Uh, you play it, others play it. Turns out, it is better than you expected. Right. B plus. Like you know, like that's probably where this game is is heading. Haven't haven't played it, but this this is usually how these games play out. And people like it. it's like, hey, you should check this out eventually. And it's one of those games that you know will end up, you know, people saying like, hey, you missed it this year. Like you should have played XCOM: The Bureau because they released it on the day that if you have sixty bucks and people don't have hundred and eighty dollars. They've right. got sixty bucks. Maybe they've got a hundred and twenty, but they're probably only going to spend sixty. It's going to Saints Row or Splinter Cell. Like that's you know, Splinter Cell is kind of just is coming in a little quiet, but at least it's an established brand. And, and the, the, the reviews the, for that have been surprisingly positive, I have to say. I, I I've heard people bitching and grousing about that game. You're just like, oh no, you know, Michael Ironside. Oh, it's too actiony. It's not stealthy. Apparently, a lot of people really like it, which is great to hear. But I also feel like. Ubisoft has maybe been a little bit reluctant to do anything other than pump out trailers or have press, you know, do more impression stuff because people have been grousing about that for so long. So, like, the word on that game is, like, kind of weird and blurry. Like, I don't know that there's a lot of, like, really serious awareness of that game in, like, the mainstream audience. Maybe I'm wrong. I could be totally wrong about that, but... People are in the chat pointing out, oh, by the way, Lost Planet 3 comes out next week. <laughs> and that, okay, you want to talk about sending a game out to die. <laughs> Just a miserable, lonely death. Put Lost Planet uh, 3 on same week Madden's coming out. You know, yeah, yeah. There, that, that is a little bit of counter-programming in that, you know, sports and action, but you are putting out the week after three big-ass third-person action games and the week of Madden when, you know, most of the mainstream audience just flocks to that shit. Yeah. You're, that game is screwed. Um, all right, well, people in the chat, if you want to uh, send me some questions, just at me in the chat. Uh, we'll run through a couple of headlines while some of those come in. Cool. Uh, and then uh, we will we'll close this one out. Yeah. Um, do you own a Vita? I do. Okay. There's a all these rumors going around that there's going to be a... Some Vita announcements, maybe at Gamescom, maybe at TGS. I mean, right now there's a, a 3G Vita... Launch bundle that's 200 bucks at Best Buy. So we're you know one of the my understanding is one of the indicators of an impending price drop is that you will start to see some bundles with existing stock as yeah. retailers are trying to move the stuff that they have before the new stuff comes in. Uh, I'm I'm so the crazy room. Like, we don't usually talk about rumors at, at Giant Bomb, but. This is a good place to do it. We can just we can yeah. discuss them and their their you know their veracity. So I don't have the story in front of me, but there's a, a Japanese newspaper that ran a rumor saying that there's going to be a new Vita announced at TGS with a bigger screen, which that can't be true. That can't like that no. making a more expensive no. Vita. You are going the wrong direction. No, I just, that is not the right move. I cannot believe that's going to be true. The Vita already has a giant ass screen. Like that system, like that is literally the last thing that system needs right now. It needs games. It needs promotion. It needs a like a reason for people to buy it. And the reason to buy it is not for a bigger screen. The screen on that thing is fucking massive. I love that thing. It's a great system. It has no goddamn games on it, but it is a great system. And I really wish, man, that that would be the dumbest possible move. Yeah, that would be, be dumb. dumb. Very dumb. Uh, Dead Island developer Techland opens Vancouver studio for work on Dying Light. That's kind okay. of interesting. Vancouver's That's, a nice city. I mostly when I think about Dying Light, I just feel bad for Deep Silver 
and the fact that they are just kind of sitting with the Dead Island franchise while Dead Island 2 is really just called Dying Light. Like, yeah. Poor Deep Silver having to... <laughs> like, how does that even work in the studio? Like, if you're working on Dead Island Riptide, which was a horrible game, like, yes. absolutely awful, and I loved... Top to bottom, lousy. Yeah, loved Dead Island, and that was just such a lousy uh, follow-up. Uh, like... <laughs> You walk by the dying light guys and just kind of like a tear rolls down your face. Like you're working on this like no budget follow up that people are clearly going to tear apart. And you're like the Native American in that in that budget next gen. You're like the Native American in that no littering ad where he just sort of turns around and sees you know like based someone throws a copy of of Dead Island Riptide at his feet and then just tear rolling down his cheek. Yeah, (laughs) really, really strange. Um. Not shell space game zero x ten c. I don't know how you pronounce that. That's the the, the less interesting thing about that is uh, uh, not that sort of notches is sort of putting another game to the side, but that uh, like a group of players are sort of picking up the concept and mm. instead of running with it. Uh, I think it's what I find interesting about this is not either of those two bits, but actually just that we don't ever usually see the prototyping phase. Developers, you know, maybe sure. you see that years later. Like, hey, here's some stuff we were working on that we threw away. Oh, um, a GDC panel or something. Yeah. Whereas with Notch, he announces the stuff that he, you know, the primary project he's working on, and then publicly, you know, shows his stuff, cancels this stuff, and basically shows when things don't go right. And I think that's 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 really fascinating. But I also imagine uh, that's really terrifying too to like show your rough drafts all the time. But that's the beauty of, of Notch at this point, is that he can do it. He has all the money in the goddamn world at this point. He can do whatever he wants. And if he wants to be transparent, if he wants to kind of, you know, have this be a more like an open source thing that people can and sort of poke around at, there's not very much risk for him because he can, he has, he has the fuck you money to be able to do kind of whatever he pleases. And that's, that is an incredibly, you know, lovely place to be in as a game developer. And I think if more developers were in that position, you know, they might do something similar. I think you're right. All right, let's see. Uh, let's go over to some questions. Love it. Oh, <laughs> All right, I love this comment from uh, Black Lagoon. That Japanese newspaper the Vita rumor supposedly came from apparently doesn't exist, and I think the ah! Japanese blogs that originated this are retracting it. Hey, welcome to the reason that Giant Bomb doesn't run stories like this. There you go. Jeez there it is. Christ. That's funny. Jesus Christ, I hope that's true. I hope that's true. I, that would make me... The happiest boy. My that I my, it makes me eternally happy to watch sites run stuff like this and then have to because no one pays attention to the to the retraction. No. That's why no. you don't run in the first place, so you don't have to run retraction. But ah, enough about that. Yes. Um, let's see. The bio lover thoughts on puppeteer. Did you play that at E three? I did not. Um, I've watched a couple people play it for a little bit. Um, I've seen it a few different times. It looks neat. I, I, I haven't had a chance to get hands-on with it my day. Have you, have you checked it out at all? I played E3. Uh, if you go okay. back to, to one of the, uh, the nightly streams, I was, I was definitely uh, mildly intoxicatedly uh, talking very positively about it. It's, it feels like a... Puppeteer feels like an old... Like if Nintendo kept making sort of like the, the games they were making back in the day and then we're making them now. Like it feels like a Nintendo game in a lot of ways. It's right. a it's a really fun, magical uh, uh, sort of platformer. Uh, I'm definitely definitely looking forward to playing that. And the PS3, in traditional Sony fashion, uh, seems to be going out on a number of really good games before we sort of make the transition. Uh, I love. Right. This isn't a question, but hold on. Let me. Uh, uh, Branthog points out that uh, he says my understanding is part of the reason Notch handed that game to the community is because the community has already been transcribing all of his code from his live streams of him coding it. Nerd. That is amazing. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, Gun Cannon D asks, how does Giant Bomb plan to handle cross-generation reviews this fall to scores? Uh, that's a good question. My guess, you know, we haven't had that conversation, but my guess is it would end up being... The way we sort of handle, like, so you look at the Saints Row Four, Saints Row Four review. You know, Jeff reviewed that on PC and then mentions, you know, in a bit. You know, you, you sort of, I guess you review it in the ideal fashion and then you make notes about, you know, yeah. the other versions that maybe don't pan out as well. Um, 
it, it also sort of depends on what versions we even get, because a lot of times, right. you know, it, it's not like the old days of GameSpot where we would be very demanding get it, to get every version of every game. That doesn't really happen anymore. So, you know, we get whatever versions. We can request, you know, hey, we'd like to see one of the current-gen versions and, you know, whatever the next-gen version is. But um, we don't always get that, because there are limited review copies that go out. Um, it's a lot easier when there are actual codes versus physical media this generation might help with that a little bit since everything is kind of digital now. Um, Steam has been a, a godsend for that stuff because I've gotten so many games I didn't even think I would get PC versions of because of, you know, Steam codes and the relatively easy access for that stuff. Um, uh, Forsen asks, thoughts on the EA Humble Origin bundle? Which went up last week. For people that right. don't know, it's uh, a bunch of really amazing games. I think you get, like, what? You get Dead Space, and you get Mirror's Edge. And there's a Burnout game in there, I think, too, right? Yeah, I think you get Burnout Paradise. Um, yeah. so anyway, like, there's a, a bunch of really excellent EA games, and it's too Humble Bundle, uh, which, you know, mm -hmm. traditionally uh, has been sort of like smaller indie games. Uh, but they, they've had the Deep Silver Bundle. There was the yeah. THQ Bundle. So they've experimented with some other stuff. And in this one, it's specifically, uh, EA gets... They're not taking any profit from it. It is going right. all, all to charity, so... You know, I, I think people, you know, in some ways, rightly so, like to sort of gang up on, on EA and sort of dogpile on EA, but, you know, I don't... I think in this case, you'd be more inclined to criticize the Humble Bundle guys if you think it is antithetical for them to align themselves with big publishers than it is to be critical of EA for providing a really incredible deal. Like, I think... Yeah. It's a bunch of games, and it's a bunch of good games. And uh, what I'll say is this. It, it, cynically speaking, yes, it's a tax write-off for EA. They don't, they're not losing probably a whole lot in this because it is games that have been out for a while. At the same time, it's it's big games that, with money that's all going to charity. I don't yeah, know how you can be bad at that. It's raised $7 million. That's great. That is terrific. And I don't know how you really get mad at that. Like, fine, if you hate EA, then don't buy the games because you wouldn't buy the games anyway. But, I mean, if, if don't be mad at the Humble Bundle people because they got access to some great games that will give them more charity money. That's I think, dumb. I think the only thing you could be rightfully angry about is that you have to redeem some of these through Origin. And I don't, you know, that, and that, yeah, in that fine. respect, I don't. Sure. I do not blame you for having to use that. It's installed, like it's in my little taskbar, but I cannot tell you the last time that I opened it. I think I, I Sim opened City. it. Yeah, that's probably true. And I think I opened it, and then got as far as having to add a whole another set of friends, and just said nope, and then no, son. and then closed it. Uh, I'll probably open it again for, for Battlefield Four, but that's. I'll wait. I'll wait till that happens. Fair enough. Um, well, all right. Take like, uh, take like two more. Yeah, let's just see. Ch -ch -ch -ch. Did you play? Uh, lot, mostly, a lot of people are asking uh, some of the games you maybe played recently. Did you play Brothers? I have not played Brothers yet. It's on my Xbox. Again, it's one of those games that uh, I want to be able to kind of you know take the time to play. That and Gone Home are on my two playlist. Um, Papers, Please was the only one I managed to kind of work in uh, on my own time recently. Uh, How I, I so that's that's I'm the I'm the flip side of that where I've played Gone Home and Brothers, but not not played Papers, Please. So what did well, what what did you think of that? I really like it. Um, it's you know it is exactly what it says it is. It is it is a uh, bureaucracy simulator, and but at the same time it has a really cute kind of interesting story. Um, the way they pile on the the number of rules and other things you have to keep track of is really maddening at a certain point, but in, it, 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 that's kind of the point. Uh, and I love the little little plot threads that kind of run through it as you go along. I, I recommended that game actually to to the wrestler guy, and I explained to him what it was, and he just like doubled over laughing, like I have to play that. That sounds amazing. I totally want to check that out. So and yeah, it, it is really really good. All right. Well, what do you? Uh... So what do you what do you got on tap for this week? Are you are you mostly radio silent while you're you're kind of nose deep in in reviews? Yeah. So I gotta get through the bureau. I gotta write uh, a thing for Gamespot actually on uh, 2K14, which I'll probably try and do on the plane today. And then I have some interviews going up uh, later this week. One with Corey Ledesma, who's the head dude uh, on on 2K14, and then another one that's a little collection of interviews I did with some wrestlers, including uh, Daniel Bryan, Mick Foley, and. Steve Austin, you know, short interviews, but uh, all those guys were actually super nice. Like, Steve Austin was incredibly nice, which I did not expect, but uh, he was he was great. 
And then somewhere in there, I have to try and review Madden. So we'll see how this all <laughs> plays out. But yeah, I have a lot of things to do this week. Uh, yeah, uh, right after we finish this, I'm going to put up a uh, uh, piece about Earthbound. I'm about halfway, about three-fourths through it now. So I'm going to write one, uh, kind of about my thoughts about it halfway through, and then I'll, I'll write something else uh, when I when I finish it. Um, I did an interview with uh, uh, the, the developer of Gunpoint, talking, uh, sort of the angle there was, you know, uh, we see these journalists or, or writers or whatever, however you want to categorize them, that go off uh, to sort of work for game developers, uh, but not many of them actually go and build a game themselves. And so right. we we kind of talked through that process and uh, kind of maybe take away some lessons for people that uh, maybe are interested in doing that uh, themselves. I had, oh, I'm finally going to get around to uh, writing up my uh, hour-long conversation with uh, uh, the designer on Bioforge. Uh, so if you guys Ooh. paid attention to that playthrough uh, that Vinny uh, drew... Uh, and and I did uh, a couple months back. Uh, we talk a lot about that, and a lot about the game, and it's super fascinating conversation. So that'll that'll go up later this week. Um, and yeah, otherwise just uh, playing it by She's ear and seeing busy. how it goes. Shit is She's getting very busy. busy. Um, but I will I will let you I will let you head off to your flight, and then uh, I will see you and see the rest of the audience uh, for the morning show on Friday. Ow! People were really mad I didn't do that at the end of the show last week, so. <laughs> there you go. All right. Bye, Alex. Bye, man. <laughs>